welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Jeff. Joining me, as always, is my buddy from another state, but we're going to be in the same state very soon. It is my co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, welcome. How you doing? I think I think we're in the same state of mind currently, um, but uh, yeah, looking forward to actually catching some live baseball, which um, I... I, I didn't know if it was going to happen this year or not, but I'm pretty excited. I get a chance to do some scoreboarding uh, coming up here in the Mariners first homestand and pretty stoked. I've been watching a lot of games. How about you? Yeah, I've been watching a lot of baseball. Uh, I am uh, likewise excited. I will be up there for the Mariners first uh, part of their homestand. Probably only live baseball I see this year. Unfortunately, it's against the A's, so it worked out well for me. Yes, we'll be uh, we'll be together watching a baseball game, socially distanced properly. Yes, but we will be there. Yeah, it's been an interesting first week. My first, you know, the first A's game of the year. We saw the first first extra innings debacle. Yes, of sticking that runner on second. Oh, that's horrible. But uh, boy, it, it, you know, they stuck him out there, but. Freaking Matt Chapman and Matt Olson, the gold glovers on the corners, made a just incredible, beautiful show. Yeah. With that. The first first ball put in play went to Olson and he threw it to to Chapman at third, who had to scoop it out like Olson does to some of Chapman's throws, and then nailed the runner who was trying to scamper back to second. So that was pretty. <laughs> I think those two do it on purpose some days just to show off. Well, it's funny because you know, last year, Matt Chapman had, I think, uh, three throwing errors the entire season and three triples. And in that first game, he had one throwing error and one triple. So because it's a shortened <laughs> season, he's trying to fit it all into, you know, into a shorter space. Oh, that's great. Let's uh, let's get ready. Let's uh, start a little BP here before we get into the main part of the show. Just want to sh- share with you what is coming up today. We have got uh, trivia. We have got debuts, as we always do. We've got some interesting segments today. I am going to be talking about the curse of the Billy Goat and the Chicago Cubs. And Mark is, of course, going to be talking about John Updike, because that's what we do here right. on a baseball history uh, podcast. And then we have got... Uh, a good pack for the Wax Pack Heroes this week. We've got 1989 tops, which will in no way top my score from last week, no. the all-time record, but it should be fun anyway. We get to talk about some old players. So that's what we got coming up for us today, but let's jump right in that batting cage and let's lay down our bunts first because we're very fundamental and let's do some uh, couple of uh, odds and ends from around baseball. Mark, have you heard about the Lemonade League? No, tell me about it. So the Lemonade League, obviously there's no, unfortunately, no minor league baseball this year. So a lot of these minor league parks have to try to, well, they're trying to get people to their parks to see some semblance of baseball. So the Lansing Lugnuts, and if you remember, we've we've talked with the voice of the Lansing Lugnuts, Jesse Goldberg-Strassler. He is going to be actually be involved in this Lemonade League. It is a wood bat league that is going to be played at the home of the Lugnuts. It's a 20-game schedule. It just started last week, and it includes players from local colleges. I thought it was really clever. They're calling it the Lemonade League, you know, because they've been given a lemon yeah. essentially this year for the, for the minor leagues. But what's really kind of funny about it is they are going to be using yellow baseballs really? or are using yellow baseballs. To uh, to further that lemonade Jeez. motif, Charlie Finley so, gets his wish. 
Yeah, so we've talked about Charlie Finley and, and the orange baseballs that he tried to get into baseball and, and why he was then the only voter that voted against the DH because nobody voted for his orange baseballs. <laughs> not bitter. No, not bitter no, no. at all. It should be really interesting. Like I said, uh, Jesse Goldberg-Strassler will be calling the games. I'm going to assume you're going to be able to find him on the internet. I'll, I'll ping him and I'll include those in the show notes and tweet about it if, if you can. Some interesting rules. First of all, there are only seven innings in each game. I think there'll probably be multiple games each day, but this is the big one. We talked about the tiebreaker this year and already what's gone on with the runner on second. So if a game is tied after seven innings in the Lemonade League, a one-on-one home run derby will decide the victor. Oh, wow. So that's interesting. I'm all for it in this league. You know, it's not something I want to see in the majors, just like I don't like this runner on second. But I think that would be a lot of fun in a just a college, you know, summer league. I'm I'm all for it. I'm with you. That sounds like a blast. Like you said, if they were going to pull that in the big leagues, I'd be like, I don't think so. But um, that sounds like fun. So Lemonade League, look out for it. Next, I want to talk about Ioannis Cespedes. One of my favorite names to say. Used to be one of my favorite players when he was on the A's. So he came back on opening day. Well, the day after. It was kind of that opening night. So he came back on Friday and homered in his first game back after two years since the last time he played in a major league game. Now, what's really interesting about that is that home run after two years extended his home run streak to three games. <laughs> so he's now homered in the last, well, at that point, he had homered in the last three games that he had played. In between that marker of those two years since he had played, 624 different players had homered <laughs> since he had last homered. Oh, that's funny. Wow. In the middle of a streak, mind you. Yeah. So, so the last game he played was July 20th, 2018, and he homered in that game. But get this, the last game he played prior to that was May 13th, 2018. He played three games in a span of well over two years, but he homered in all three of them. So that's consistency. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. <laughs> nothing, nothing but consistency. And, and so I, I chimed in on Twitter on a couple of those threads because we had talked about, well, we talked about Ted Williams many times, but... We've talked about how he served in the military for three seasons, 1943 through 1945. But he homered in his first game back in 1946, very similar to what Cespedes did, only he served his country and did it on purpose as opposed to hurting his ankle on a ranch when a boar charged him or whatever his uh, story was. But (laughs) yes. And of course, Ted Williams also went on to win the MVP award that first year back. So that's a little bit more badassery for Ted Williams. I'm going to talk a little bit about Ted later, too. Going to be a running theme today, I think. That's always I, I like talking about Ted Williams. We can do that. Uh, all right. Let's jump into our uh, our uh, debut segment. So this show is debuting on July 28th. I've got two debuts of note that I wanted to talk about for today. One of which we have definitely talked about on two prior podcasts. So today in 1937, Boots Poffenberger made his debut in the major leagues. Oh, Boots was was such a legend. Boots, real name Cletus Elwood Poffenberger. Wow, I'd go by Boots too. <laughs> so we've talked about him a couple of times. He only played three years in the major leagues, but was a character for sure. 
Uh, I'm getting the info that I'm going to pass along from you, uh, pass along here from the the book, The Hall of Name, which we've talked about before. We had the author, D.B. Firstman, on uh, when that book first came out to talk about these sorts of players. And the the stories that we've we've passed along before and were, you know, are well worth repeating. Boots reportedly missed a game one day because he had stayed out late the night before at a nightclub where he had proclaimed himself the leader of the house orchestra. So he he conducted and, and sang and I'm sure entertained everybody, but did that to late at night and uh, he missed the game next day. Slapped in. Wow. As one does. Yeah. So uh, he also was afraid of telephones, which is, I think that's pretty common. So I don't know why that's even noted, but yes, afraid of telephones. And once he was uh, hired to do a live promo on the radio for Wheaties but instead of saying that he had Wheaties for breakfast that day, like they had paid him to say, he just told the truth and said he'd had a beer and steak instead. <laughs> uh, breakfast of champions. Breakfast of champions. Probably had a glazed donut on top of that. And uh, what else? Uh, maybe some potatoes. Yeah. But uh, B- Boots Poffenberger, 1937. Big day in Major League history. That's right. Next one, 1950, Vern Law makes his debut for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Now, this is interesting because coming up during the week here and on next week's show, we are going to be visiting with Vern Law's son, Vance Law. So I thought it was I thought it was kind of interesting that it happened to be his uh, his debut. And that just so happens to be the day also when the show drops that we are talking to Vern or to Vance. So. That'll be a, a good topic of conversation to bring up with him. Uh, 1960, Vern Law won the World Series with the Pittsburgh Pirates. He went 2-0 and in the series. He appeared in three games, pitched 18 and a third inning, struck out eight, and had a 3.44 ERA. He won the Cy Young Award in 1966. Now, this was when they only gave one Cy Young Award out. So it was for the entirety of the major leagues, not just the American League and another one for the National League. So he won for the entire league. He played 16 seasons, all of which were with the Bucks, compiled a 164 and 147 record, and finished with a 3.77 ERA and 119 complete games. So I'm sure we will be asking. I think Vance was like four years old when they won the World Series, but he was obviously older in that season when his father won the Cy Young uh, Vern Law played with uh, Roberto Clemente and uh, some other, you know, Pittsburgh greats. So we'll get to ask him not only about his time in the major leagues, but his his father and and his history and probably growing up in some club in the clubhouse there in Pittsburgh. So I'm excited to to talk to Vance. Yeah, I am too. That's uh, he's. I have a feeling going to have some good stories for us. And we might have a. We might have a connection between you and Vance, too. It may be. We will find out. (laughs) Very excited for that. Yes. All right. I asked you a trivia question last week. I've got an answer for you because I guarantee you, you do not know the answer to this question. And it's a great one. Okay. Who I asked you last week, who was the last left-handed throwing player to play second base in a Major League Baseball game? Any idea? Not a clue. I I, I racked my brain and uh, I came up with a couple of guys that had no hands, but uh, I couldn't come up with a left-handed second baseman. So I and I specifically worded it this way: left-handed player to play second base. Ah, uh-huh. ah, uh-huh, okay. <laughs> the answer 
is, of course, Don Mattingly. (laughs) Really? Don Mattingly. Don Mattingly, in the resumption of the Pine Tar game, played at second base. When they restarted this game, you know, after the ruling, you know, and, and the anniversary of the Pine Tar game was just last week. But this is when they actually resumed it later on in the season. Ron Guidry started out in center field, the pitcher. First baseman Don Mattingly was at second. Mattingly was placed there because the second baseman from the game that had originally taken place on July 24th, Burt Campanaris, was injured, and Guidry replaced the original center fielder, Jerry Mumphrey, who had since been traded to the Houston Astros. So Mattingly, a lefty, became the rare Major League left-handed second baseman. No left-hander has played second base or shortstop in a big league game since the Cleveland Indians pitcher Sudden Sam McDowell was switched from pitcher to second base for one batter in a game in 1970 against the Washington Senators. Then it was Mattingly. The last left-handed throwing catcher to play the position was Benny DiStefano, who caught three games in 1989 for the Pittsburgh Pirates. So a lot of left-handed trivia there for you about left-handed second baseman, shortstops, and catchers. I didn't even know they made a lefty catcher's mitt. <laughs> I wonder how hard it would be to find a left-handed catcher's mitt. <laughs> no kidding. That that's amazing though. I mean, it's funny you don't you don't think about that a lot. You just make the assumption you're, you know, your shortstop and second baseman are going to be right-handers. They probably sell those where they sell the left-handed baseballs. That's it. Yeah. And those you remember you got to pound out curves with those things. Definitely got it. So we got a little little uh, curve today of our own. Mark, you have a trivia question this week. That's right, man. I got uh, I got to give a, a shout out to Kevin, who is a listener that uh, sent me some pretty interesting stuff, a uh, little uh, Haas Radburn stuff and uh, some interesting Saber articles that I might follow up on later. But Kevin asked this interesting question. Name the only Major League Baseball catcher to catch two perfect games. Perfect games. Perfect games, and I'll give you a hint. They were 10 years apart. Because, see, I, I know Ron Hassey caught two, uh, two no-hitters, uh-huh. but I don't think he caught perfect games. I want to say Damian Miller. You were, you were so close. It was uh, some guy named uh, Ron Hassey. Good good job. You just happened to... Oh, uh, was it really Ron Hassey? So we're not even going to wait for next week. No, it's Ron Hassey. There you go. <laughs> you got it. I have to give it to you. Oh, well, that's... <laughs> I didn't... I, I knew he had caught multiple, uh, multiple notable games. I thought they were just no-hitters, but yeah, eight, if they are perfect games. In 81, he caught Len Barker's no-hitter. And in 91, he caught Dennis Martinez's no-hitter. Oh, I did not know he caught Denny Martinez. El Presidente. El Presidente. Legend. Denny was, man, Denny Martinez was an awesome pitcher. Mariner legend, Denny Martinez. Love him. Do you do you remember Denny Martinez with the with the Mariners? Uh, not really. I mean, he, he was he here for more than a couple games? The, that's why, that's, I tacked that legend on whenever they've only been there for a season <laughs> or less. Gotcha. Athletics legend Nomar Garcia Park. That's right. But <laughs> all right. Well, then there we go. I, I'm 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 sorry I spoiled the, the trivia question. No, you got it but right. When uh, 
when your when your insurance agent is cousins with uh, the answer, you're gonna you're gonna get it. So, <laughs> oh, see <laughs> now I, that's kind of funny because we might be related because my cousin's uncle's former stockbroker's nephew's next door neighbor was actually related to Ron Hassey's nephew. Oh yeah, you probably so, are by blood. What does that related. make us? All right. So let's, uh, that'll wrap it up for our BP segment. Let us now jump into the main gist of the show. Let's get into, uh, let's get into our stories. Let's do it. All right. So Mark, why don't you start us off? Let's dip our toes into the literary world and, and talk about some baseball literature from American master, John Updike. Is that a good, good way to describe him? John Hoyer Updike. Yes. Um, Arguably, and I'm not going to, this is not the show where we make this argument, but arguably the greatest American writer of all time. One of only four writers to win the Pulitzer Prize for fiction more than once. John Updike, the list of awards goes on and on. That's like the Cy Young of literature, right? Yes, it, it is. Uh, he wrote uh, all the Rabbit Angstrom novels, uh, Rabbit Angstrom being a former high school basketball star who uh, goes through some pretty interesting life changes and middle class life and so on. And uh, he also wrote something uh, you might know, The Witches of Eastwick. He wrote that one, too. Oh, I've I've read Run, Rabbit, Run, but I did not know he did Witches of Eastwick. Yeah, Rabbit Run, wow. a classic. He, he won uh, the Pulitzer for... Rabbit at Rest and Rabbit Remembered, it looks like. The most novels he wrote, five rabbit uh, novels, and two of them won Pulitzer Prizes. So pretty cool. John Updike, amazing writer, wrote for The New Yorker, uh, wrote poetry, wrote fiction, wrote short stories and so on, and became a a legend of a a writer. But John Updike had a side that... uh, I personally can relate to John Updike loved baseball. He was a huge uh, baseball fan and wrote a few things about baseball that I thought I would share today. And uh, I really enjoyed the the way that he approaches his prose and the way he writes things. Uh, It is just super cool how he captures it. Uh, Did you know John Updike was a baseball fan, Jeff? I didn't. Well, he, he um, he wrote a poem about baseball that uh, I thought was pretty impressive and uh, fun to read. So uh, I'm quoting here an article from IWU. It says, John Updike knew and loved the game and explained it best of all. Let's give him the last word and let the season begin. So this is called Baseball by John, John Updike. I'm going to put on my, my reader voice here. <clears throat> it looks easy from a distance, easy and lazy even, until you stand up to the plate and see the fastball sailing inside an inch from your chin or circle in the outfield, straining to get a bead on a small black dot, a city block or more high, a dark star that could fall on your head like a leaden meteor. The grass, the dirt, the deadly hops between your feet and overeager glove. Football can be learned and basketball finessed, but there is no hiding from baseball. The fact that some are chosen and some are not those whose mitts feel too left-handed, who are scared at third base of the pulled line drive and at first base are scared of the shortstop's wild throw that stretches you out like a gutted deer. There is nowhere to hide when the ball spotlight swivels your way and the chatter around you falls still and the mothers on the sidelines, your own among them, hold their breaths and you whiff on a terrible pitch 
or in the infield achieve something with the ball so ridiculous you blush for years. It's easy to do. Baseball was invented in America, where beneath the good cheer and slide jazz, the chance of failure is everybody's right, beginning with baseball. You should have had Dave Niehaus record that at some point. Oh, man, that would have been awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I remember uh, Ernie Harwell reading Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, and it was a super cool when they, when they came to uh, Seattle. It was pretty awesome. But I, I love that poem, man. Um, I kind of want to have a printout of it on, on, in my office wall somewhere, but I, I don't have an office or walls. So that's kind of not going to happen. Uh, very interesting. I was not expecting gutted deer yeah, that imagery kind of came out in, of nowhere in today's show. Yeah, but. <laughs> and but you notice we talked about left-handers and we talked about digging a, a throw out of the out of the ground, and both of those were in in John Updike's poem. Well, you can tell just by you can tell by the 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 images and and just kind of the things that he's talking about that he has spent a good deal of time watching baseball. There's just things that when you watch baseball, you, you recognize cause you see them a lot. And he's obviously done an incredible job here of painting a, a, a picture with words about some of those things, yeah. including the gutted deer <laughs> included. Yeah, exactly. Stretches you out like a gutted deer, which actually, if you think about that is, isn't too far from the truth, except for the whole blood thing. But, uh, um, <laughs> In the guts. The New Yorker also assigned John Updike the uh, task of writing about Ted Williams' final game. I have a, a few things I'd like to read from the article, a couple of excerpts uh, that I think our listeners might enjoy. This is John Updike describing Fenway Park. Fenway Park in Boston is a lyric little bandbox of a ballpark. Everything is painted green and seems in curiously sharp focus like the inside of an old-fashioned peeping-type Easter egg. It was built in 1912 and rebuilt in 1934 and offers, as do most Boston artifacts, a compromise between man's Euclidean determinations and nature's beguiling irregularities. Its right field is one of the deepest in the American League, while its left field is the shortest. The high left field wall, 315 feet from home plate along the foul line, virtually thrusts its surface at right-handed hitters. Now, if I was going to write it, I'd say Fenway Park is cool and has a big fence and it's neat. And, and Mr. Updike, <laughs> a little better writer than, than I could come up with. Um, and it, he wrote a few. Monster is green. <laughs> Monster green. Very neat. I, I enjoyed the way he finished off the article, which is uh, Ted Williams in his final at bat at, at Fenway Park. And what was his final at bat actually of his career? Because he did not travel the final series of the year. He played in Fenway and that was it. Boston was not in the playoff hunt. Ted Williams, uh, final at bat, he hits a home run and this is how Updike describes it. Though we thumped, wept, and chanted, we want Ted, for minutes after he hit in the dugout, he did not come back. Our noise for some seconds passed beyond excitement into a kind of immense open anguish, a wailing, a cry to be saved. But immortality is non-transferable. The papers said that the other players and even the umpires on the field begged him to come out and acknowledge us in some way. But he never had and did not now. Gods do not answer letters. Wow. Yeah. I thought that was outstanding. <laughs> anyway, um, that kind of that's really all I had. I, I just I, I was looking up John Updike. I found out he was a, a baseball fan. And I thought, man, maybe if I maybe if I look that up, I can find some stuff to read on the show. And I just wanted to share that with our listeners, because I, th I think uh, it, just the way he captures things is so brilliant. 
and and I didn't know you could read. So yeah. that is awesome. <laughs> that I, I I wanted to prove also. So you know I got I got both of those in, thankfully. So do you remember? I'm get I'm guessing you. Well, I know you won't because this guy was drafted by the Seattle Mariners in the 28th round of the 1993 draft. He played two years in the Arizona Rookie League for the Mariners and then one year for the Brewers and then kicked around in the Independent League. But the Mariners in uh, 1993 drafted Johnny Updike, I did, a pitcher. I did. I typed in John Updike baseball and I came up with Johnny as well. And I thought, wow, you know, even after, even when he was in his 70s, he's still playing baseball. What a guy. Well, he did go one and seven. So, I mean, he did get a win in the minors. So well, congratulations for Johnny Updike. That's more than I've done. That, well, he's got one more win than uh, either of us, as a matter of fact. Yeah, <laughs> combined. <laughs> All right. Well, that's great. I'm going to put some links. Uh, we'll put some links to those, uh, to the, to that reading in the show notes because uh, that was good. I, I'd like to go back and read that story on Ted Williams again. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, whole, and he's got a great way of, of, of writing, oh, he's, obviously. He's brilliant. It's just His prose is amazing. All right. Well, let's move from uh, the liter- literary world. Let's move to the world of curses. And uh, <laughs> normally I edit out all of the curses in the show <laughs> while we're recording. But today we are going to talk about the curse of the Billy Goat. And uh, I know we've got Cubs listeners. There's Cub fans everywhere. The curse of the Billy Goat is something that they all know about. And I mean, I think everybody that's a baseball fan knows about. But I decided I wanted to learn more because there is definitely some stuff I did not know about. And I hope everybody finds this entertaining. So let's, if you will, let's travel back to the 1945 World Series. The Chicago Cubs are hosting the Detroit Tigers. The Cubs are up two games to one. And Billy Cyanus, a local businessman who's just opened up a new bar called the Billy Goat Tavern on the north side of Chicago. Now, why the Billy Goat Tavern? What's up with the name? Well, Billy was a rather dapper man who always had a well-trimmed goatee and had earned himself the nickname Billy Goat. He loved this nickname. He played it up. Obviously, he named his bar after it. He loved it so much that he even had a pet goat that he named Murphy. So Billy wanted to get word out about this new place. So he did what any normal person would do. He bought two box seats for game four of the World Series, one for him and one for his pet goat, Murphy. Perfectly normal to buy a a goat, a seat at the World Series. So off the two go to the game. Murphy is draped with a banner that says, we got Detroit's goat. So... Yeah, I know. It's I, that's old timey humor. I think <laughs> it played played much better than than it does now. It is. Uh, so here's where there are actually multiple versions of the story, because as we will find out, I think a lot of this is just become legend. Some say Billy and his goat were allowed into the stadium that day. I mean, you know, they both had a ticket, so why not? According to this version of the story, once inside, the game proceeded. I was unable to find anything that indicated that Billy and Murphy sat in their seats or not. But at some point before the game was over, there were complaints from other fans about the goat's smell. (laughs) Imagine that, you know, bringing a barnyard animal to a crowded stadium (laughs) and it smells. Yeah, that's weird. So after fielding complaints, ushers ask Billy and Murphy to leave the stadium. 
In other versions of the story, Billy and Murphy are not even allowed in the stadium. They're stopped at the entrance and said, turn it around. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here, at least not with the goat. Uh, another version said that the Cubs owner, P.K. Wrigley himself, said that Billy could come in, but the goat must stay outside. Whichever of these actually happened, you can imagine that Billy was not pleased. He is into this goat lifestyle, and he wants his goat in there with him to watch this ball game. So he is mad. And first of all, I, w- I was trying to figure out what what would it be like today? It's like Bark in the Park, but with goats. <laughs> so... I, I thought of Ba in the ballpark, but I think that's sheep. I think sheep make the Ba sound. I'm not sure what a goat. I think go, goats say nay, don't they? Nay. Nay, yeah, I think you're right. Nay in the neighborhood. Nay in, nay in the, the nine. Yeah. Nay in the nines. I I don't send us your send us your send us your uh, your, your answers, everybody. Let's let's get creative here. Let's see if we can get MLB at least one team to have a, a goat day at the ballpark. We'll come up with a name for it. All right, so back to back to Wrigley. So again, there's some conflicting accounts of just what happened as Billy was leaving the stadium. One version has him telling anybody that would listen, quote, them Cubs, they ain't going to win no more. That's kind of in my old timey voice. Yes. Them Cubs, eh, they ain't going to win they no more. They ain't going to win no more, I tell you. Yee. <laughs> the Sienna's family claims that Billy immediately sent Wrigley a telegram which read, quote, you are going to lose this World Series and you are never going to win the World Series again. And you're never going to win the World Series again because you insulted my goat. Stop. I can that understand. Stop is remember they used to do right. that in telegrams. I can know, understand his, his frustration. Yes, big into the goats. Well, he was right. The Cubs went on to lose that World Series three games to four to the Tigers. And according to the Chicago Daily Times of October 9th, after the Tigers defeated the Cub, Sienna sent Wrigley another telegram. And all it said was, who smells now? (laughs) Burn. This is trolling before the internet. This is trolling via telegram. It's awesome. I love it. It's petty. It's, it's beautiful. <laughs> so a year before Sienna's passed away in 1969, Billy, being the bigger man, forgave the Cubs and lifted the curse. End of story. He did it. He's like, it's over. Curse gone. Now, I don't know how curses work, to be honest, uh, but... Like, can the person that cursed somebody just flip a switch and it's done? Apparently uh, not. Yeah, I don't know. Like, <laughs> you might have to wear it off. I'm going to say no. Yeah. Because as we all know, it took all the way up until night until 19, until 2016 for the Cubs to make it to the World Series and finally win it. So for me doing research on this topic, it sure seems to me that this curse, hex, whatever, probably never actually happened. There are several newspaper stories about this incident, all of which Billy was all too happy to be interviewed for. He was a bit of a ham. He loved the attention. And in none of these stories, does it or he mention anything about a curse or anything even close to one? Billy and Murphy even went back to Wrigley with photographers to recreate the scenes. There, I'll, I'll post some pictures uh, on Twitter and, and Instagram. They've got the ushers there. They've got the goat wearing the, the We Got Detroit's Goat banner. And they're making a big scene of denying him entry. And he's holding his tickets up. It, it's like a Norman Rockwell painting almost, but with goats. <laughs> well, with goats. 
Yeah. Uh, so to me, this just seems like a man who enjoys attention enjoying his 15 minutes here. Now, I, I don't believe in curses, although I am very superstitious. And I've got in quotes here, wait for Mark to make joke about being just a little stitious, but you didn't do it. So, <laughs> no, I, I, I thought about it and I thought, you know, he's just going to edit it out if I say that. No, I literally got it here in italics <laughs> in my in my notes here. Uh, but, but a lot of weird things have happened to the Cubs since then up until the 2016 World Series. So I thought we'd just go through some of the weird things that this quote unquote curse has uh, been credited for foisting upon this organization. So 1969 in Shea Stadium, the Cubs and the Mets are fighting it out for the National League East pennant. I'm sure most people have probably seen this picture. A black cat wanders onto the field and walks between the Cubs dugout and Cubs uh, infielder Ron Santo, who's on the on-deck circle. The Cubs faltered after that, allowing the Mets to go on and win the National League pennant, and then they eventually won the World Series that year in the famous uh, Amazing Mets year there of 1969. 1973, Billy's nephew, Sam Cyanus, brought a goat named Socrates, or as I have to, it, I, it's so hard for me not to say Socrates because I'm yeah. such a big Bill and Ted fan. <laughs> Socrates and Socratic method. Yes. Uh, so Socrates, I'm going to go with it was an actual descendant of Murphy, the original goat. So he brings him to Wrigley Field. He actually rents a limousine to transport the goat to limousine. <laughs> but he didn't think to maybe talk to the Cubs about this. So they He just shows up with the goat at Wrigley Field. The Cubs don't know about it, so they turn him away. And the curse persists. Oh, the no. Cubs were in first place that year up until the All-Star break, and then they lost it. And they ended up fading, didn't make the playoffs. 1984, the Cubs finally invite Sam and a goat of his choice to attend opening day. The goat finally led into the stadium. They paraded around the field before it was drenched in Budweiser and sacrificed on the pitcher's mound by a bloody Harry Carey to the shock of the sold out crowd. <laughs> wow. No, oh, no, that's okay, just kidding. Good. I'm just kidding. That, that didn't happen. But uh, he was uh, he 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 was not sacrificed to appease the baseball gods. But this worked. The Cubs made the postseason that year for the first time in almost forty years. Wow! But in the NLDS, leading two games to none, the Cubs collapsed. Eight outs away from advancing to the World Series, with their ace Rick Sutcliffe on the mound, big red. A grounder dribbled between first baseman Leon Durham's legs, allowing the Padres to tie the game and eventually go on to win the series. Oh, the bowl. The bowl. The wet glove, yes. apparently, is what I think he blamed it on. So 1989, the Cubs once again make the NLCS. But this is the series. We've talked about it. It's why pitchers hold their gloves up on the, over their, their lips now. Game one, Will Clark on the on-deck circle getting ready to bat, reads Greg Maddox's lips during a meeting on the mound and goes up there and proceeds to knock a grand slam out of Wrigley Field. The Cubs would not recover. 2003, you've got the Bartman game. Yes. I don't even really need to say much about it, uh, you know, except for, of course, that Alex Gonzalez committed an error on an easy double play. The next play that could have gotten them out of it, but everybody's going to play Bartman anyway. I blame Alex Gonzalez. There you go. 
some interesting ways they've tried to lift the curse. KFC offered to bring a brittle statue from Japan of the Colonel. We've talked about this how many times? The curse of the Colonel rears its head again. <laughs> they they offered to bring the curse of the Colonel Colonel to Chicago for opening day 2009 to help lift the curse. The Cubs declined the offer. Uh, did they win that year? No. Bad move. Next, competitive eater Kobayashi and three colleagues tried to exercise the curse by eating an entire goat, 40 pounds of meat, in a 12-minute seating on September 22, 2015. It didn't help. The Cubs ran into another Murphy that caused them trouble. Daniel Murphy of the New York Mets, who had a home run in every game of the playoffs as the Mets swept the Cubs out of the postseason. Uh, there were some other attempts, most of which included goat carcasses and severed goat heads hanging on statues, which is not cool. I did not appreciate that part. Uh, the Billy Goat Tavern, still open today, has eight locations throughout the greater Chicago region. I'll post uh, a link to the Billy Goat Tavern uh, on the in the show notes. Uh, there's one in O'Hare Airport. So next time I, if, when I actually get on an airplane next time, I'm going <laughs> to stop there. I've gone... In fact, I think I know where it is. I think I, and I might've actually even stopped there and had a bite to eat in a beer now that I'm thinking about it. So nice. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so Mark, you are a fan of classic Saturday night live, correct? Absolutely. All right. I got something that's going to sound very familiar to you here. Cheeseburger, cheeseburger, two Pepsi, one cheese. Cheeseburger, cheeseburger, two Pepsi, one cheese. Here to go. Four cheeseburger. That skit was written after Don Novello, a.k.a. Father Guido Sarducci, visited the Billy Goat Tavern for lunch one day. The counter staff there is famous for hawking their, their food, their wares, in a similar method where they're calling for cheeseburgers. They're saying, you want a Pepsi? We don't got Coke. It's only Diet Pepsi. Just in their characters there. So <laughs> that skit was written after Father Guido Sarducci visited the Billy Goat Tavern. It is the inspiration for that skit, that, which I thought was awesome. That's outstanding. Who knew? Now we all know. So we've got some other curses. We'll talk about them in other times. Of course, we've talked about uh, quite a bit about the curse of the colonel. You got the curse of the Bambino. You've got Coogan's Bluff, uh, a bunch of other stuff. So I think that'll be fodder for another show down the road. But I thought that was a lot of fun just reading about this stuff that went on with the curse of the Billy Goat and the Chicago Cubs. Very nice. Now, Jeff, I, I think I've come up with what we would call a night where you bring your goat to the ballpark. All right. Hit me with it. Well, I, I looked up real quickly what sound a goat makes, and it's a bleating, <laughs> B-L-E-A-T-I-N-G. Bleat. The plaintive bleating of a goat. So that gives way, of course, to bleats in the seats. <laughs> <laughs> or bleats at the ballpark. Or bleeding in the seating. Huh? <laughs> All right, MLB, make this happen. <laughs> uh, I love it. Oh, Only boy. on two strike notes, right. are you going to hear cool ideas like that? <laughs> well, let's just say ideas. Just ideas. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> All right, Mark, that is, uh, that's the meat and potatoes of the show. Now let us... 
uh, segue into the uh, one of the most popular parts of the show. It is time for a segment that we like to call, and so we do, Wax Pack Heroes. Gotta pull a wax pack hero. All right, Mark, I had a big week last week. They're still talking about it. Big. Throughout the wax pack one-on-one combat circles. Yes, it uh, is not. It, it wasn't a good week, Jeff. It was the greatest week uh, with the greatest. It was the greatest week. Time. It was an all it was an all-time Hall of Fame performance where I pulled a $14 card. Yes. That it has my second card of the pack, too. <laughs> so I, I, I finished with a total of $14.20. So that was clearly the only good card in the pack. But uh, that uh, that did bring me up to um, I'm down 18 to 14 is the uh, is the standings as we head into today's episode. Now, for today, we are opening two packs of 1989 tops. So I'm going to have to deal with the gum and the gum dust, which is never fun. Mm-hmm. But should be should be fun to to look at some of these cards. Not a lot of big money cards in this set. The biggest card here is a dollar for a Steve Avery rookie card. Uh, there's also a Robin Ventura rookie card that's 75 cents, a uh, Jim Abbott rookie card that is 50 cents, and that is really kind of it. There's an Andy Bennis rookie card that's 35 cents. Um, not, a, not a whole lot. A Ramon Martinez rookie card that's 50 cents, too. That's kind of an odd one, but... Um, all right, so let's jump into it. Before we get into it, though, Mark, let us uh, go over the rules. So first of all, we are going to be using a May 1992 Beckett Baseball Card Monthly to score these so that we've got some value. We've got some additional rules, though, uh, first of which is real stirrups. If the player is wearing real stirrups and we can see it, that's good news. You get an extra cent. If they are wearing the two-in-one stirrups, that's not a good look. So you're going to minus one cent for that. If they are sporting a sweet, sweet mustache of any sort, you get an extra cent from that because the ladies love the facial hair. And finally, if you are now a Hall of Famer, you get an extra five cents. So that is how we are going to score it. So, Mark, I am going to give you the option since you were the big loser last oh, week. Big. I'm going to let you I'm going to let you pick which uh, pack you want, the pack on the left or the pack on the right. Well, I, I, I got to go with the right. I've had more luck with the right. All right. So I'm going to leave that. I will take my pack. I'm going to let you go ahead and go first because I had good luck last week like this. Yes. So uh, a winner gets yeah. to choose. So you are the current winner. All right, so let's open this up. Oh, the gum is in one piece. Oh, that's a rare. And not very powdered. You might, boy, that you might want to get that graded. Ooh, that is hard as a rock. But it did, of course, leave this beautiful uh, stain on the back of, of uh, your last card, which is Juan Castillo. So there goes any value for Juan Castillo. Ruined my Juan Castillo card. All right, so uh, let's start. You got a a company just a insert there. All right, so let's start with uh, you're gonna you're gonna start strong here with a St. Louis Cardinal. It is infielder or no outfielder. I'm sorry, Jim Lindeman. Jim Lindeman. Okay, no clue. Yeah, I uh, I I think I vaguely remember his name. Uh, 
but uh, not much else. Now, I do think you might be able to see a stirrup. Yeah, I can see a real <laughs> stirrup underneath the little ribbon that has his name on there, though. So you are going to get at least one cent there, for Jim Lindemann. He's got no value in Beckett, but you will we'll start. Not a good cut here on this card. Very off-center, but we're not grading him. Right. Next card, you're getting a Hall of Famer right here, my friend. Yes. Getting a Hall of Famer with real stirrups and a mustache slash beard for the Chicago White Sox. It is Mr. Harold Baines. All right, Harold, score me some points. Now, we're not going to make any comment about his Hall of Fame-ness because he's in the Hall of Fame. And remember, we had when we had Sean Lowe on, they're good friends. So we don't want to we don't want to ruffle any feathers. No. Uh, Beckett did not particularly care for this card of Mr. Harold Baines, though. There is no value there. But you're going to get seven cents for that Hall of Fame, the mustache, and the stirrups. So that's an eight-cent card. So that'll bring you up to nine cents. Can I just just jump in real quick and say, Harold Baines, even though we we talk about his Hall of Fame credentials, was very much a professional hitter and and, uh, was very scary. Absolutely. Just wanted to throw that in there. Absolutely. I mean, come on. you got to... Put him above Jim Rice. That's a good point. I just, I'm so better about Jim Rice <laughs> stealing, stealing Ricky Anderson's, uh, Ricky Anderson's thunder. By the way, it's the 11th anniversary of, of that day of Ricky Henderson being inducted. So 11 years ago today, I was at Cooperstown crying. There you go. Awesome. Okay. Next we've got, uh, we talked about this guy, this guy, had, we've talked about him before cause we're just unaware of how long of a career he had, but this is infielder for the San Francisco Giants, Chris Spire. Yeah, Chris Spire. Um, we have talked about him. He played forever. He did. And it, this is at the tail end of his career when you just you look at the back of that card and there are some real small print there because he came up in 71. Wow. So that is that's longevity there. Uh, no value there. Uh, he does have real stirrups. That's good. I might in the future, minus you assent because you can see the big tin of tobacco in his back pocket, but no such rule <laughs> as of yet. So you will get one cent and that'll bring you up to 10 cents. 19 seasons Next. played. Yeah, Very that's impressive. incredible. Next, we've got stalwart for the Atlanta Braves uh, up the middle for in those kind of early glory years of the early uh, late 80s and early 90s. It is Jeff Blauser. Oh, Jeff Blouser, blouser, blouser. You know, from okay, the song. I, I don't, I don't know. Oh. What song is that? Somebody's is it a Blouser song? You know where he goes, yowza, yowza, yowza. Except it's. I do not know. Okay. We'll have to, we'll see if I can find it and we'll, we'll put a little clip of it in there, but. <laughs> You do that. We'll, we'll continue here. So uh, no, uh, no mustache, no, no stirrups, but Beckett is valuing this at three cents. So you're going to jump up to 13 cents with that one. Oh, beautiful. Next pitcher for the, uh, for the Dodgers. It is Danny Heap. Danny Heap, uh, solid hitter. Um, I don't remember him being a starter for a long period of time, but uh, I do remember that he could hit. Wow, he's made his debut in 79. He's been around longer wow. than I thought, but yeah, he only played over 100 games one year. Looked like he's pretty much your your standard fourth outfielder. Mm-hmm. Uh, no value there uh, you know, on any front. 
Uh, next, oh, this is a good mustache right here. And it's so good that you've got the same card twice in a row. Um, unfortunately. <laughs> How did I land that? Beautiful. I don't know. Um, and unfortunately, Beckett does not value it at all. But you have got two Lance Parishes right in a row with his sweet, sweet mustache. Oh, man. Beautiful. That's weird to get two cards like that. The exact same cards right in a row. Uh, mustaches on both sets, two cents. But uh, he was an all-star at one point behind the plate. He was he had a you know a good career. Lance Parrish played a long time. In fact, oh. a short stint with the Mariners, if I remember correctly. So you're not going to get any extra value for this. But this is an error card. Oh, no. They're... they're what a pack okay so that was stuck together with the juan castillo card that had the gum on the back but no you do have two lance parish cards there uh at this point he made his debut in 1977 and was once offered a football scholarship from ucla but uh Next, you have got another card that is so good that you've got two of them in a row man i am am (laughs) one of which One of which has that gum stain on the back. It is the aforementioned Juan Castillo. <laughs> Please tell me he has mustaches and a, or must, stirrups and, mu, and a mustache. Well, you can't see the stirrups. Uh, uh, he's got, I don't think he shaved today, but that is not a mustache, I'm afraid. Well, you're the final arbiter. Uh, yeah, I like to be pretty liberal with that, but that is just a, that's like a two o'clock shadow he's got going on there. Yeah, I understand. So. I'm afraid I can't can't give you anything. Well, at least here, w- w- you've only got one of this next card, so that's good. Oh, good. Uh, this is a manager card, so it's probably not going to be worth anything, but as a Ricky Henderson fan, this is a great card. This manager is somebody that Ricky Henderson gives credit to all the time when, when he talks about him. At this point, he is managing the Milwaukee Brewers. It is Tom Treblehorn. Tom Treblehorn was a, a solid manager, I thought. Yeah, so uh, here he was. He always used to wear that uh, that plastic jacket underneath his jersey. <laughs> I love that look. It's a, it's a good look. Good look. Uh, it, this also has a team checklist on the back, but still not worth anything. Oh. Okay, next you get uh, not a Hall of Famer, but a Hall of Gamer. And this card could be worth something. Eric the Red. Ooh. Eric Davis. Eric Davis was hot those years, man. There's a man that could hit. So, yeah, what a what a great 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 player. Just couldn't stay yeah, healthy. So this card is worth seven cents in Beckett. He does have real stirrups. No mustache in this picture though, hmm. uh, which is strange. So that's an eight cent card for you. So that'll bump you up to twenty three cents. But just Eric Davis, eighty nine. He had a wow. Next year was his really really good year. Uh, and took the Reds, obviously, to the World Series that they won, where he was then left in Oakland by that piece of work Marge shot, left oh, in the God. hospital. Yeah. All right, next we have got pitcher for the Atlanta Braves. It is Jim Acker, who works to, uh, on his ranch in Texas during the offseason. <laughs> and you can tell that because he's got a big old chaw in there in his, uh, in his cheek. He's also got a beard and mustache, uh, which I think will probably be your only... Value for Mr. Acker. Uh, yep. So you get one cent there. That brings you up to Ricky Henderson at 24. You got three cards left. 
One of which is a pitcher for the New York Mets. It is Terry Leach. Mm, Terry Leach. Sounds familiar, but I got nothing. Yeah, I remember the name. A righty reliever. Hmm. Uh, he had 10 straight wins, apparently, from May 2nd to August 14th wow. in 1987. Well, that's solid for anybody. Yeah, so no value there, but he does have real stirrups on, so that'll bump you up to 25. Next is a guy... I, so we're open a pack from the 80s, so you got to have a Larry Sheets card in there. <laughs> Larry dancing in the sheets. Larry here with the Orioles. Um, no value. He does have a mustache, as he always did, and uh, no value from Beckett. And then your final card is your second manager card. But uh, you're in luck here because this is a Hall of Fame manager. Ah. It is Tony LaRusso. Oh, he certainly is. Yes. Beautiful. Uh, so the car not worth anything, but he is a Hall of Famer and he's got real stirrups on. So that's six cents for you. So that'll bring your final total to 32 cents. Well, it's it's it may or may not be competitive. If you're in the uh, the 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 zone you were in last week, I got no shot with uh, that amount. Yeah, now you had a pretty good pack. I mean, uh, Harold Baines, I would say Eric Davis is actually your best card. Yeah, two Hall of Famers. You had, yeah, you got two Hall of Famers in Tony LaRussa and Harold Baines. Yeah, so. can't complain too much. All right, so I got my work cut out for me. 32 cents. I likewise have a full stick of gum. It, no powder, though. Huh. But that is hard as a rock. <laughs> um. I have got my I've got two cards stuck together too, but they are not the same cards, so I've got that going for me. Uh, I got my Tops Company card. All right, so I'm going to start out with a guy I have never heard of. It is outfielder for the Minnesota Twins, Mark Davidson. Yeah, not a clue. I thought he was like one of the producers of game shows. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm talking about. Wow, that was random. Sorry about that. You can edit that out. <laughs> no, I think I think there is like. Sale of the Century was produced by somebody Davidson. Yeah, that kind of sounds familiar. <laughs> but uh, a good good picture here. Here he's in his BP jersey. Uh, it's old Tiger Stadium here. But uh, no value, no mustache. Can't see his stirrups. Mm. Next, we've got a, another guy that I, I am. I, I want to say maybe I remember his name. He's got a good mustache. He's got two and ones though, so that wipes that out. Way to go, Herman Jimenez. <laughs> Of the uh, Atlanta Braves, Herman no value, and no value anywhere because of those must because uh, of those stupid two and ones. Yeah, uh, he's a rather big boy. He's a lefty though, but didn't stick around. A left-hander that didn't stick around. So um, that's weird. And this is his rookie card too. And Herman just gets no no value. Hmm. Sounds different. All right, I got a. Future star card. Watch out. Big money incoming. Uh oh. It is pitcher for the Detroit Tigers, Steve Searcy. Now that was a future star. <laughs> well, so such a big future star that Beckett gave him two cents. He's got a mustache. So I, I am on the board with uh with three cents with my first my first big money card. Steve there. Searcy with a big score. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next, <laughs> I, I, I'm guessing you know who this is. You might even know who might even have 
interacted with him. It is pitcher for the Oakland Athletics, one of my favorite names, Steve Ontiveros. Oh, I knew Steve Ontiveros. Absolutely. Yeah, nice guy. Um, you know, he, he did his time in the big leagues. Kind of a 4A player, you know, dominant at, uh, at AAA and, you know, decent in, in the big leagues. Steve Ontiveros, yeah. No value, no mustache, can't see any stirrups. Uh, all right, I got a Hall of Famer here. I've got a Montreal Expos Hall of Famer that kind of narrows it down to <laughs> three people, I think. Well, four, because Larry Walker would now be uh, considered in there. But it's not Larry Walker. Can you guess who this is? Joe Carter. Just kidding, man. Uh, I know he's a Toronto no. guy. I'm just kidding. It was a, kind of a Canada. Never mind. Okay, who, is, who is an Expo in the Hall? Well, I'm going to tell, tell you me. this. This is his rookie card in 1989 with the Montreal Expos. He is a six foot ten left-handed, <laughs> mulleted and mustached pitcher. It is Randy Johnson. Yeah. Well, you get you, you got me. I should have had that one. So this card, uh, I mean, this is we're, we're using a May 1992 Beckett, so not a whole lot of value here. It's a 15 cent card, yeah. but he is a Hall of Famer and he's got a mustache. So that bumps it up to a 21 cent card, which Oof. puts me up to the Ricky Henderson value of 24. Oh, man. That's a good card for me right there. Creeping that just got closer. me right back in this game. Yeah, you're creeping closer. All right. This will help you out. This is a pitcher for the Padres. He's got real stirrups, though. It is Jimmy Jones. Ah, yes, Jimmy Jones. Um, what I remember him about him is his grand stirrups. <laughs> <laughs> he, that's that. I can tell you that he was a pitcher for the Padres and a right-hander, and he wore real stirrups. That's one cent. That'll bring me up to 25 cents. Next, I believe this guy just passed away uh, recently. Here he is, a pitcher for the Cubs. Uh, he pitched for the Angels. I know he pitched for the A's. He was an innings eater. I enjoyed him when he was on the team. It is Scott Sanderson. Yeah, I remember him. Sure. Uh, that card not worth anything, unfortunately, though. And it's got gum stain. The gum stained through the card. Like, it's not just on the back. It's affecting <laughs> the front as well. I used to which... chew that stuff, and it, it it's acidic, obviously. What was I thinking? <laughs> it's, still, it's still in your stomach. It's still there. All right, next we've got a manager card. Not just a manager card, we've got an airbrushed manager card. It is my least favorite Yankee manager from when Ricky was on the A's because he and Ricky did not, or on the Yankees because he and Ricky did not get along. It is Dallas Green. Dallas Green, boy, I, I don't have a lot of memories. I remember him managing. I don't recall a lot about him. He's a big guy, 6'5". Wow. But uh, no, no value there, obviously, and uh, it is airbrushed, so it looks atrocious. Uh, <laughs> next, we've got an actual Yankee. It is a pitcher, John Candelaria. Oh uh, yeah, John Candelaria, um, starter, right? Pitch for a good while. Yep. Yeah, he sure did. I was just looking on the back of the card here. He came up with the Bucks in 1975. Pitched quite a bit. Wow. But. Uh, no value from Beckett and uh, no stirrups, no mustache. So no value there. Next, we go to yet another New York Yankee. None of these are Ricky, though. It's pissing me off. <laughs> uh, this guy, I remember, I thought he was going to be a star. Outfielder for the Yankees, Roberto Kelly. 
Oh yeah, Roberto Kelly. I I used to collect his cards. He was quick. Uh, wasn't he a center fielder? Yep. Yeah, quick center fielder had uh, had some pop in his bat. I thought he was going to be huge. Yeah, I thought he was going to be a, a a big big star, but uh, didn't really pan out. This is his rookie card though, so that works out well for me. Um, only four cents. I can't see his stirrups. I know they're real, but I can't see it. Like that ribbon from Tops is just blocking it and no mustache to speak of. So that will bring me up to 29 cents, Oof. trailing you by three cents with five cards left to go. Oof. All right. Next, I remember this guy for the Indians. He used to be a pretty good outfielder. It is Mr. Mel Hall. Oh, yeah. Mel Hall had some. He was a 20 home run a year kind of guy. Well, you had some pop. You had one of the best haircuts in the game. <laughs> so at this point, he has he had topped out at 17 home runs for the Cubs in '83, and then, oh, then he had 18 for in '86 uh, and '87 for the Indians. So he was just starting to get going. All American baseball player and All State football and basketball. Quite the so athlete. He was. But uh, no value there from uh, from Beckett and uh, no mustache and can't see any stirrups. OK, this one might do it. This this might put me over the top. It is a tops all star rookie card for the Seattle Mariners. He is an outfielder. His favorite spectator sports are pro basketball and baseball. Players who had a great influence on his career were Willie Stargell and Bucky Dent. And he was at one point traded for Ken Phelps. <laughs> I thought that's where you were going. <laughs> <laughs> it's Jay Buhner. There you go, Jay Buhner. So uh, that's worth five cents uh, in Beckett. And he's got real stirrups. So that is a six cent card. That will bring me up to 35 cents. Wow. And will put me over the top once again. I'm trying to come back. I'm trying to scratch and claw back into this. Uh, so quickly, my last three cards. Uh, pitcher for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, he has got no value, but he's got a mustache and he's got real stirrups. It's Jeff Pico de Gallo. <laughs> I don't remember Jeff Pico a whole lot, but I do enjoy Pico de Gallo. Yeah, me too. That's good stuff. Next, for the uh, Detroit Tigers, it is pitcher Walt Terrell. Walt Terrell. Kind of remember. I remember. Yeah, I remember his name. I think I remember him more because we pull his card like three times every time yeah, we do I one of so. these wax packs. And we errors. always say, I remember his name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he's got a great mustache. Uh, that's it, though. So one set there. This is like right around the time when Tom Selleck might have come down mm. to spring training with the Tigers every year. Yeah, I think he was going to for the mustache look to kind of be like, hey, Tom, look. And like, you want to be you want to be friends? We got mustaches. Well, who wouldn't want to hang out with Tom Selleck? I, Walt Terrell would. I'll tell you that oh, much yeah, right absolutely. now. Absolutely. All right. Last card of the pack is a Mariner pitcher. This is a rookie. Oh, it's not a rookie card. He just got sent down after his initial stint in the majors. It is Mr. Bill Swift. Billy Swift. Yep. Uh, great Mariner. Well, I won't say great. He was a Mariner. <laughs> Nothing wrong with Bill Swift. <laughs> he was 100% a Mariner. Absolutely. Um, I, I mean, can you say anything more about him? No, it, it's. I think his, his name speaks for itself. 
That pretty much says it all. <laughs> all right. So that, uh, the final total for today, I ended up with 38 cents. Mark, you ended up with 32 cents. It doesn't matter to me because I am still paying bills off with that uh, Cecil Fielder, Corey Snyder rookie card from last week. Yeah, really. But let's take a look at the updated standings now. That bumps my win total up to 15 to your 18. We're playing to 20 here in this first season. I can't. So I can't get that 19th win. No, you're, you're stuck. But uh, looking back on my card, Randy Johnson, clearly the big card in my pack. Uh, Steve Searcy wanted to be a big card, but he wasn't. And then uh, Jay Buner will probably come in second in my card. Yeah. My pack yeah. there, but. Uh, so there, there you have it. There is another episode of Wax Pack Heroes. We each got a couple. Uh, well, you got a couple of Hall of Famers. I just had one. But uh, there you go. Uh, well, congratulations, fifteen. Jeff. I'll take it. All right. So uh, let's start to wrap up the show. We want to thank everybody again. We really do appreciate everybody that tunes in and listens. We appreciate it and would love it if you share our show with people. If you like it, uh, let people know about it. Uh, Tell your parents, tell your friends, tell your brothers, tell your sisters, tell everybody. There is a a show with two idiots that talk about baseball. Sometimes they say things that are dumb that aren't correct. Most of the time, though, we're close to the truth. We're, we're truth adjacent a lot of the time, yeah. uh, but we really do appreciate everybody listening. If you want to follow us to get more content throughout the week, uh, you can uh, follow us on social media. We are on both Twitter and Instagram at two strike noise. That is at T W O strike noise. We are also on YouTube. I am going to admit I have fallen behind posting these wax pack heroes on YouTube because I have been so busy getting the season underway. I have just not had time to edit those. I will start to put those back up uh, so you can see last week's debacle <laughs> where I just destroyed Mark. It was sad. Uh, you can see, and, and see this Randy Johnson rookie card, the Harold Baines card, all these. I will eventually get them up here. I just need baseball to kind of settle down work-wise. But Mark, they can also get a hold of us uh, just through email. You want to tell them how to do that? Sure. Write to us at twostrikenoise at gmail.com. Spell it out. T-W-O. Strike noise at gmail.com. Great. We're also on the Hot Mic app if you want to join us there. We haven't done one of those games for a while. Again, we're kind of both kind of busy right now. We've got some other things coming up, though, on there, possibly Twitch. So just keep your eyes open for us on uh, on those platforms. We'll make sure to let you know. But, Mark, we have already teased next week. We've got a former major leaguer will be joining us. So I'm going to just make the assumption that you're going to be here. Is that a good assumption? I wouldn't miss it for the world, Jeff. All right, great. Well, then, thank you, everybody. We hope to see you next week. Thank you for joining us this week on another episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. Bye.